Thank you, guys. You're about to find out that God has a sense of humor. Um, it shouldn't be lost on you that I, I had an interaction with Ashley Mayfield before the session, and she was asking me, she's like, hey, the way that you spelled that word looked really funny, and like, is that a joke? I was like, no, that's just how I am. So um, you're about to, this is the doctrinal strength thing brought to you by the state of Arkansas. So, <laughs> so how bad off do we have to be if you get the church from Arkansas to come in? All right, anyway. <laughs> no, it is an absolute joy to be together. Um, I mean, over the last year, year and a half, I mean, I mean, honestly, like Christians be crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there is not a person in the room that has been unscathed. And just the ability to come together and to be together is a gift. And um, I think this goes without saying, but our togetherness is around a person. Like this is this isn't just because we all have common interests or shared values, but but we have a common vision of Jesus, and so that's what we're going to talk about. We define ourselves as a gospel-centered movement, and um, we just want to say out loud some of the things that we believe about the gospel and some of the things that we believe about Jesus. And I've been around gospel-centered teaching most of my Christian life, and been in lots of different. Circles, and I don't know if you feel some of the tensions that I feel, um, but there is, uh, you know, the word gospel has kind of become a junk drawer word that can kind of mean anything and everything to the person that's actually saying it. So I think it'd be helpful for us to say out loud what it is we believe at, about the gospel. So my first example to kind of the, the gospel-centered world was about 2008. So I arrived at together for the gospel conference. I had my John Piper lunchbox and <laughs> John Piper underwear. And like, I was so stoked to hear Piper, you know? And he comes up to the front and he asked this question. He's like, so, you know, he's real serious about it. And he says, so, um, did Jesus actually preach the same gospel that Paul preached? And I was like, well, I'm kind of slow. I'm from Arkansas. So I was like, well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> you know, but then he proceeded, you know, over the, the next, you know, an hour plus to, exp you know, to kind of go through. And the, the question was, do, does Jesus preach the doctrine of justification, right? And because in that circle, like the gospel, I mean, basically, if you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, those are just kind of introductory phrases till you get up to the cross. And listen, we love the cross, and we value the cross. And so then I'll kind of just fast forward to 2021. So uh, a story of another John that I just absolutely love. And if he were here, I mean, I would take off my shirt and ask him to sign my chest. It's John, it's John Mark Comer, right? And he, so he flips the question around and he says, like, he says, can the gospel be the gospel unless it appears in the gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he asks the question a different way. And these two extremes, like, do we view the gospel through like a Paul lens or do we do view the gospel through what actually happens in the gospel? And I think, man, those people have some socks that are actually smarter than I am. But the truth is, like, I think they make these things into an either-or kind of statement when they're meant to be a both-and. And so, which gospel are we keeping central? Are we 
keeping the, the gospel of the kingdom at the center? Or are we keeping the gospel of the cross at the center? And I hope you know that the answer to that is yes. Ah. So I want to begin with reading Galatians 1, 6 and 7. And this is Paul talking about just the singularity of the gospel message. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. And that that tells us that the gospel is about Jesus who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. So notice that phrase, one gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so what is the, the one message of the gospel? So what I want to introduce to you is kind of a doctrinal framework so that we can see the gospel through different lenses. It's not an either or, but it is uh, a both and. And so this is kind of a doctrinal primer, but I want you to understand like from the outset that this is our understanding of the gospel. This is the, the power of God, according to Romans. This is how people are saved. This is how people are changed. This is how people experience comfort. So this isn't just like to to engage our minds, but it's to equip us to serve the people that we love the most. And so um, I think it's going to be important for us to just look at these, the gospel through three lenses. And so we can look at the gospel through the gospel of the kingdom lens, and that's the renewal lens, that's God making everything new. We can look at it through the gospel of the cross, and that's the legal aspects of the gospel. And then the, the gospel of grace you'll find throughout scripture, and that's the relational lens. And we want to hold all of those things in tension so that when we are gospel-centered, we are not going to one extreme or the other. So we're going to talk a little bit, what does it mean to have an overdeveloped view of some of these aspects or an under developed view. So let's begin with the gospel of the kingdom. Now over the last 10 to 20 years, I think there has been a a right emphasis on the kingdom of God. I mean, I think in certain circles it was almost totally absent. I mean, it was that scary slippery slope towards liberalism, like if you even talked about the kingdom of God coming. And um, There's been some good fruit from these discussions. I mean, when we're talking about God's kingdom coming, we're talking about God becoming king. And in the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible, he's making everything sad come untrue. I mean, this is him stepping into time and space and brokenness and bringing healing and wholeness and flourishing. And this is God declaring through Jesus that this planet is always on the trajectory that he's going to renew and remake all of creation. The kingdom of God is about the reign of God and about God establishing Jesus as the king. Now, here's some key scriptures to help us kind of think through the gospel of the kingdom lens. This is at the outset of Jesus's ministry. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
So what gospel is in view there? This is the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God has drawn near in the person of Jesus. And my personal favorite, um, Matthew uses a, a similar term, the kingdom of heaven. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the result. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. So this idea that God's kingdom has drawn near in Jesus, that, that God has not abandoned this planet, is the, the reality that we have faith to pray for the sick and to see them to recover, right? This is, this is where we, we have faith to step into contested spaces and plant and strengthen churches even when it's hard and everybody's going crazy. It's the fact that God has come near in and through Jesus. Every miracle of conversion speaks to the rule and the reign of God, that God is the king, right, through Jesus. So George Eldon Ladd, his teaching, I think, has been so helpful where he talks about the kingdom being here in an already and a, a not yet kind of tension. So I want to talk a little bit about what does it mean for the kingdom to already be here, but the kingdom to, not, to be not yet. So it's really easy, I think, to fall on either side of this tension, you know? We can overemphasize the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not around a lot of people like this, to be honest, but I mean, but there are some people like that the kingdom is here now and everyone is gonna be healed and everyone is gonna come to faith. And if you don't come to faith, well, then it's your fault. Or if you're not healed, right, then it's something deficient in you and your faith. And so when you have an overemphasis on the kingdom being here now, it leads you to have an insufficient view and theology of human suffering, right? I mean, listen, I have prayed for, I would say dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of people to get healed. And the amount of people that have come back and been healed has been this much, right? And we want to position people to receive in faith, but we also want to say, listen, the ultimate source of healing may not be here and now, but it may be in eternity, right? And so we want to position people that they're not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, that if they don't receive their miracle here and now, that they are on a collision course with glory, and that kingdom will come in fullness one day. Yeah, so... Um, if we don't, though, have an adequate view of the kingdom of God, um, we can become, just in the words of Pink Floyd, comfortably numb, right? I mean, just, hey, listen, I'm in this neighborhood. I've been here. And, and, and that's what we, Jen and I, had people to pray for us about. Like, we've been here 10 years, and we've seen very little fruit, right? But the reason that we can take our nets and cast them once again into the sea 
is because, listen, Jesus is the king and he is in the business of saving people. It's not always, you know, what I see is not always what will be. God can break in in a moment and change a heart and a life and a city. If we don't understand the kingdom of God and we just kind of emphasize the legal aspects of the gospel, um, we end up building a form of Christianity that divorces salvation from discipleship, right? Instead of calling people to follow the king and experience eternal life, which is not just where you go when you die, it's actually the eternal life of God coming to live in you so that you can follow him as he makes all things new. If we're not clear on that, we just have a a group of Christians that are kind of waiting for heaven one day, right? And they're gonna fill their life with anything and everything um, but the kingdom. So we wanna rightly emphasize the kingdom of God. Also, in Jesus' first sermon in Luke chapter 4, he talks about good news for the poor, liberty for the captives, sight for the blind, right? And if we're not familiar and equipping ourselves and our teams and our churches with the kingdom of God, when they hear words like good news from the poor, they're going to think that that's some kind of liberal political construct, right? We start talking about things about justice. We're going to be thinking, okay, this is some kind of woke liberalism instead of like, this is about the kingdom of God coming that restores hearts and minds and bodies. So um, Mark Sayers in his book, Reappearing Church, tells the story of a man named Douglas Hyde. And he was an editor at a British newspaper, and he was converted to Christianity from communism. And communism at that time, I think, probably not super popular in Britain, I'm going to imagine. But (laughs) I think they said they had 45,000 people that were a member of the Communist Party. And he said he was amazed at how little faith that Christians had when they had truth on their side. Listen to this quote from him. He said, he said, coming straight as it were from one world to another, it astounded me that there should be people with such numbers at their disposal and with truth on their side going around weighed down by the thought that they were small beleaguered minority carrying on some kind of impossible fight against a big majority. The very concept was wrong and psychologically it was calamitous, right? And so, yeah, we can have this view if we don't understand the kingdom of God that it's going to grow and that it's gonna expand. It starts like a seed and then it gives birth to these wonderful plants that all the birds of the air can come to nest in like we can just get caught up in our own stories and we shrink the size of the kingdom of God down to the size of our own lives and what God wants to do is rightly magnify the fact that Jesus has come and his life and his death and his resurrection are the down payment of a new world and so we can start new works and we can care for people so we want to look at the gospel of the kingdom from a renewal lens Next, this would be the one that I think most are familiar with. This is the, the, the gospel of the cross. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 
1 through 4 with me. It says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I've delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died in accordance for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So what gospel or what aspect of the gospel is Paul emphasizing there? It's the legal lens or the, the cross that's at the center. It's that Jesus died for my sins. It's this idea that all that God has done to save us through the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Jesus. This is the, the legal aspect. It's often articulated in terms of sin and forgiveness, doctrine of justification by faith alone, where the perfect obedience of Jesus is credited to us as a gift, right? So we don't have to go around condemned by not keeping the law. Um, a great question to ask yourselves is when, when you're reading like the Gospel of Matthew, and there's some real drama because Herod is trying to come up and kill the baby Jesus. Like, what difference would it made if he died as a baby, right? Matthew goes to great lengths throughout his gospel to say, listen, this is to fulfill all righteousness, right? The reason that there's drama there is because Jesus had to live under the law. He had to fulfill the law in our place. That's the legal demands that we have of the law. Now, the greatest gift that we have through this legal lens is that we have peace with God. Right, that he is actually with us and for us, and um, if we under or if we overemphasize the legal aspects of the gospel of the cross, what do you think it does? If we if we were going to overemphasize it, Ben, what do you think the result would be? Maybe it's on a slide up there. How about a transactional view of Christianity? Yeah, no. But I mean, but if, if all we ever talk about is our falling short, right, and our not measuring up, we view God primarily as a judge instead of a father, right? And yes, there are legal aspects, but we can create a culture subtly where people are walking on eggshells, right, where they're not secure in their faith, right? So we want to we wanna hold all of these things in tension, so we want to have a, a view of the cross that helps us to understand that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and that we've been delivered from the dominion of sin. Um, when we um, have an underdeveloped gospel of the cross, um, and, and this can happen if we're always in the kingdom world, is that it minimizes the seriousness of sin, right? And it minimizes the need for personal conversion it kind of takes away and um it's the love of god that came to send jesus to absorb the wrath of god so that we can walk free and our neighbors can walk free and so we want to make sure that we hold this thing in tension finally i want to talk about 
the grace of the gospel. And this is more the scripture here. So I just want you to notice this is another way that the word gospel is used in scripture, Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish what? To testify to the gospel of his grace. So we have a renewal lens. We have a legal lens. And then this is the relational lens, the gospel of his grace. This is how we build healthy cultures, right? This is what Ray Ortland talks about. A healthy gospel culture is gospel plus safety plus time. No one can grow in a space that they don't feel safe, right? So we want to build cultures that are full of the grace of God, that's full of the radical acceptance and the radical security that we have with God. This is where the intimacy comes in, that we get to know God as Father. Grace means that God's favor has come to rest on our lives. And honestly, this is the kind of doctrine that builds a culture where the pressure's off, right? Where we can take the masks off, we can all gather around the table and listen and say, I still believe in Jesus, but man, I need prayer right now, right? I, because, listen, because God is favorable towards us. This is how you build a worship culture, right? I mean, if you've read Ephesians 1, it's, it's in him we have been predestined in love. In him we have redemption. In him we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we could praise the glories of his grace. So if, if it's whether it's you, it's, it's taking this relational lens and taking God up on his promise and trusting him as father to our churches. So this is, this is where I misspelled the word. If you have an overdeveloped doctrine of grace, it can lead to a form of laissez-faire Christianity. Thanks for the help. Um, but that just means hands off, right? I mean, if it's like if you overdevelop a doctrine of grace, it leads to passivity, right? Um, it leads to a lack of urgency, a lack of um, doing things well. I mean, it's great. God's grace covers it all. Um, but when we rightly understand grace, what does the book of Titus tell us? It makes us zealous for good works, right? So that's healthy. Um, yeah, so God wants to continue just to pour out that kind of grace upon us over and over again. Um, also, if we have an underdeveloped doctrine of his grace, this is the thing that uh, I would be most concerned about in a room like this. It leads to burnout, right? And I've been there. I'm almost there right now. It leads to um, a culture of being defined what we do for God instead of what he's done for us, right? So there's a, a heavy emphasis on, you know, performance and our own efforts. But it also, if we don't have a, a developed doctrine of grace, it leads us to be critical of other people because we don't realize how much we need grace. So it's easy. Um, that's how I know when grace is slipping because you start to see all the faults of other people and you forget that you've been cleansed from your former sins, right? But this is, this is what God wants to do for us. 
He wants to build into us this healthy view of his grace. I think about grace being um, his welcome. And I want to close with the story of a man named Harry, and this is from uh, The Relational Soul, and it's told by Richard Plass, who kind of does some emotionally healthy spiritual kinds of things. And he tells a story of a man named Harry that lived next door to him when he was a child. And Harry was just this single man. He was aged. He was divorced. He had been estranged from his family over a long period of time. And this man would come over and eat meals with the Plass family. And he said it, it really struck him as strange, like in the middle of the night, Harry would come over and he would knock on the door and his dad would just kind of wake up bleary-eyed and welcome him in and let him sleep on the couch. And he said he, he did this over and over again for about six months until he didn't see Harry anymore. And he later described, and he was so desperate for connection. He didn't want to die alone that he was rapping on the neighbor's door just to find a place of rest and a place of welcome. And just as I was thinking about the gospel, I was thinking about how many Harrys are there out there that are waiting to see the welcome of God, that the grace of God welcomes you in, right? And I know that this is on all of your hearts. And so, um, yeah, I think it'd be worth asking a, a question. It doesn't have to be here, but, you know, with your teams, which, which aspect of the gospel am I most familiar with? Um, which, which do I tend to kind of emphasize more? And, and, and what kind of fruit is that uh, building inside of me? What's it building inside of our team? What's it building inside of our church? And then, yeah, what would it look like to grow in the next year just being strengthened in uh, just the different aspects of the gospel? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Um, I hope uh, you feel served by Chad. Um, right now, I mean, I, I was at the Gospel Coalition Conference. I, I, I love the Reform guys. Um, but now they're just in, in the way that generations happen, seasons happen, movements happen. Um, there's, there seems to be just a reaction. So let's, nope, that's not it. Let's move over here. And it seems like in a very politicized, polarized climate right now, everybody's wanting to react. And the wise thing to do is to not react in this moment, but to hold to the yes that Chad said, yes, this is the gospel, and to hold the three perspectives. And that's going to keep us moving forward. It's going to keep us from falling off a ledge because we're overemphasizing something at the exclusion of something else. And as a movement, we want to put the gospel front and center. We want to proclaim the gospel. We want to plant churches through advancing the gospel into new cities and new territories. And uh, knowing the gospel uh, is a massive priority. So, Chad, thank you so much for serving us.